Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, January 28th, 2024, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Okay, um, in the four Gospels, there are 20 times that Jesus says two little words. The words were, follow me. And what we've been looking at as we look at these occasions where Jesus said, follow me, is what are the stakes of following him? What does it take to do it? And if a person does it, what happens? Or if they don't do it, what happens? So today we're going to look at one of the instances where somebody said no. It's the first time that we've looked at one where Jesus said, follow me to somebody, and they said, can't do it. No. Okay. Before we get into Mark chapter 10, a little question, and I don't want you to answer this one out loud. A lot of times we do out loud answers, so you can save all your out loud stuff for like amens and things like that. When you get really moved by something that is said, something that the Lord is doing in you. But just think about this one. I want you to think about when you were a kid, and some of you are still kids, and that's really cool. Um, when you were a kid, what is the best gift you ever got? Like birthday present or Christmas? When I was a kid, I got a lot of great gifts. I remember one time uh, when I was a, uh, in, a, in the ninth grade for Christmas, I got an electric bass guitar, and that was pretty life-changing. When I was in the fourth grade for Christmas, my grandmother gave me the original Game Boy. So if you want to do the math on when I was in fourth grade, I'm sure you can Google that real quick, but it came with the Mario Brothers game, and, it came, and she bought me a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, and I can still remember the music. It was so fun. I played it one time so much that I got blisters on my thumbs. Um, so that was, you know, that was the 80s, folks. Um, but my favorite gift that I ever got, ever, was one time my parents bought me a toy of the Shuttle Tidarium from Return of the Jedi. Manny's going to show us what that was. It was glorious. It was an amazing toy. Um, this is, you know, if you're not familiar with, which of course you are, this is the one that, you know, the rebels got this from, from the Empire, and, and Chewie and Han are flying, flying this thing. It's, it's, when, it's when Han says, you know, close, but not too close. I don't know, fly casual. It's a, this, this is a great and amazing toy. And what was so great about it was the wings were up like that, and then underneath it, there was a handle. And so you could like fly it around, you know, making the noises and everything. And then the handle had a trigger button on it. When you pulled the trigger, the wings went down. It was the coolest thing ever. Now, I was hanging out with Matthew before the service, and I was looking for this picture, and in Googling this, I found out you can get this toy on eBay for $239. Don't do that. Um, but I did find out that retail price in the 80s, when my parents bought this for me, was 40 whole dollars. Now, we didn't spend $40 on anything. We didn't go out to eat. We didn't do anything like that. My dad, and I realized this, I'm looking at this on Google, and I was like, I need to call my dad. This, is a, this was a really extravagant gift. Now, to answer your question, yes, I still play with it. No, I don't. I actually, <laughs> here's the thing, though. It wound up in a yard sale. I got bored of it. I, I got over it. Um, and my guess is 
that whatever you thought of as your childhood favorite toy that you got as a gift, my guess is that at a certain point you got over it. When you got it, you were like, this is it. My life is complete. I remember opening the box for the Kenner shuttle Tiderium, and I was like, I'm done. I don't want anything else in all the world. You know, that's before I realized what girls were all about. But like this, but at the time I was like, that's it. This is all in the world I need. And then I got bored of it and it wound up in a yard sale. Um, so my guess is you've had a similar experience. Thanks, Manny. Unless anybody just wants to keep looking at that shuttle. But, um. Okay, next, next question. Um, this is another think about it yourself question. If you could have one thing right now, one thing to change everything, the one thing you want more than any other thing, and maybe for some of you that's like, it's a job I'm applying for. Maybe for some of you it's like, I just want to sleep better. Maybe for some of you it's like, I need peace in this one relationship. And if I had that, then everything would be fine. If, we, if this loan went through, or if we, if we got this bill paid, or I got that scholarship, or whatever it is, like, what's that one thing that like, if I could have it, everything would be great. Okay, we're going to get into that whole concept. We're going to start, though, by reading Mark chapter 10. If you have a copy of the scriptures and you want to follow along, we're going to start in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, that, that phrase, eternal life, you could say like he's talking about going to heaven, but really what he's talking about is like life that is full life, life that is the good life, life that is like real and total and complete life. And yes, it will last into the ages, but it's not just about like, when I die, I want to go to heaven. He's like, I want a satisfying full life and I don't want it to stop. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, buddy. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, this is an incredibly weird scene. And if you had been there when this happened, you would think this is a strange thing I'm seeing. For one thing, you have a very rich man on his knees in front of a crowd of people, on his knees, begging and bowing and asking advice of a homeless, penniless, traveling teacher. That is super strange. Um, this story appears in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew chapter 19, in Mark chapter 10 here where we read, and in Luke chapter 18, Matthew and Luke both tell us that he was wealthy. Luke tells us that he was a ruler, 
This is a word that sometimes it means leader, sometimes it means official. In a couple of places, it means prince. This man was not only wealthy, he was well-connected, he was influential, he had accomplished a lot. When he talked, people listened. He had gotten to this place in his life where he was important and influential and accomplished, and he was wealthy. And in fact, Luke not only tells us he's a leader, when Luke tells us he's rich, Luke says he was extremely rich. It's a word, I looked it up, that has used other places to be translated in English, other words besides extremely. Like, for instance, in Matthew chapter 17, about six months before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples what was going to happen. He said, we're going to go towards Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm going to be betrayed and arrested. I'm going to be mocked. And then I am going to be killed. On the third day, I'll rise again. And I don't think they even heard the rise again part. They were so distraught that it said this. It's, uh, Matthew said that they were deeply grieved when he said that. That word deeply that we've translated deeply, that's the exact same word that Luke used when he said he wasn't just rich, he was extremely rich. It's the same word that's used um, in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples and he says, one of you at this table is going to betray me. And it says again, they were deeply grieved by this. They were like, what? And that word, deeply, it's the same thing. What Luke is telling us is, it's not just that this guy was rich, he was deeply rich. Like, some people have deep pockets. This dude had deeply pockets. Like, he was a wealthy dude. Now, I've known some people in my life who have money, but I was thinking this week, who's like the richest person I've ever actually like talked to or shaken hands with? And I realized it was about 10 or 12 years ago, I don't know the exact year, when at our Young Life banquet, we had then mayor of Knoxville, Bill Haslam, spoke at it. I spoke at it, and Bill spoke at it. And people listened to Bill just a little bit more than me, for whatever reason. Um, the clapping was a little bit louder. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But at, you know, after it was over, we, we talked and we shook hands. And I was thinking this week, that's the richest dude I've ever shaken hands with. In fact, he's the wealthiest person to ever hold elective, elected office in the history of our republic. Did you know that? Pretty wild. Um, but this dude is, I mean, Bill's got some cash. And from all accounts, he's a great dude. Like, I, I enjoyed meeting him. He was very sweet when I got to know him. Everybody I've ever known that knows him says he's just the kindest dude, loves the Lord. He's an awesome guy and everything. And I just thought, man, what if you were walking through Market Square or down in Centennial Park and you saw Bill Haslam on his knees begging for advice from a homeless guy? I don't think you'd see that. Maybe I'm wrong about Bill. But here's what I can absolutely guarantee you. In the first century in Palestine, you would never see a rich person on their knees asking the advice of a homeless man, of a poor person, somebody that was penniless. And Jesus was both of those things. His ministry was completely provided for him by other people who charitably gave to him and to his disciples, and to their little group, so that they could do the things that they needed to do. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a house. He didn't have any money. Now, that is a, if you were there, you'd be like, that is a weird scene right there. Super rich, super connected guy, on his knees, begging for the advice of a poor man. Now, there are two things that make this strange scene a little less strange. 
Number one is the guy that was standing, the man who was standing, Jesus, he was unlike any other person in the history of the world. At this point where we pick up the story in the Gospels, this is near the end of his ministry. In fact, we're probably in the city of Jericho. He's probably about a week away from going to Jerusalem and going to the cross. The stories that surround this, like in Luke, right after this, we have Zacchaeus. In Mark and in Matthew, right after this, we have the, the blind in Jericho receiving their sight when Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? This is at the very end, which means all the things that you know about Jesus, pretty much all of them, had already happened. And his words and his works and his way with people, there was no one ever like him. By this point in the story, everybody up and down the country knows who Jesus is. They're talking about him all the time. They're wondering who can he be. People love him. People hate him. People are for him. People are against him. More and more people are following him all the time. The way that he talked like no one else had ever talked with authority and generosity and kindness. The way that he helped, the way that he healed and delivered people, the way that he gave dignity to people that nobody else even looked at, nobody else even paid attention to, the way that he loved, the way that he included he was unlike anybody else in the history of the world. So that makes this strange scene a little bit less strange. People are paying attention to Jesus. Everywhere he goes, there's crowds of people hanging on every word. One time, and it's going to be just a few days after this, one time some uh, soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus. Excuse me, that was at the Feast of Booths a little bit earlier. Some soldiers were sent to arrest Jesus, and they went and they heard him, and then they went back to the temple, and the, the priests and stuff were like, where is he? And they're like, oh man, we're just holding the cuffs. He's like, yeah, where is he? He's like, you don't understand. Nobody talks like this guy. Nobody's ever spoken like him. We just forgot to arrest him, honestly. Like, it was just wild. So that makes the scene a little less strange. The second thing that makes the scene a little less strange is that something incredible had happened to the man who was kneeling on the ground. You have the man who's standing and the man who's kneeling. This incredible thing that happened to the man who was kneeling on the ground is something that doesn't happen to everybody. When it happens, it's a difficult moment. And if you capitalize on it and do something with it, then you are doing great. The amazing thing that had happened to this man was he came to the point where he realized and then admitted that something was missing. That's a big deal. That's a big place to get to in a person's life. I now realize, and furthermore, I now admit that something is missing. Now, this man... Previous to this occasion, if anything was missing, he just bought it. If anything was missing, then he just went and achieved it, just made it happen for him. And in all of that buying and all of that achieving and all of that getting, all of that stuff, it wasn't working. It wasn't enough. There was still something missing. Can anybody testify that no matter what you get, there's still something that's just not quite right? This is the place where he had gotten to, and he had heard about Jesus. He had heard about the words and the works and the ways of Jesus, and he's like, I've got to try him. There's never been anybody like him. If even a quarter of the stories are true, I've got to try him. So he goes to talk to Jesus. Jesus had, a, he had an interesting method with this guy. He started by saying, like, well, let's talk about, let's talk about you. Let's talk about the commandments. 
you know the commandments, you know, you know, don't steal, don't kill, you know, don't, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, don't defraud anybody, all those things. The kind of, the relationship side of the Ten Commandments. There's your relationship with God side of the Ten Commandments, then there's your relationship with people side of the Ten Commandments. How are we doing on those? And this man said, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And that's when Mark tells us, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, precious. That's where we in the South would say, bless your heart. My dear friend. What's interesting is uh, Jesus left off the last commandment. He, he did all those. He left off the, the, the coveting one. In the Gospel of Matthew, when you read this story, he added one that's not in the Ten Commandments. He added one that's in the book of Leviticus in chapter 19. So in, when you read this in Matthew, he's like, you know the commandments. Don't, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't defraud anybody, honor your father and mother. And then he flips over in the Torah to Leviticus 19 and says, Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love your neighbor exactly like you love yourself. And he's like, all of these, teacher, I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looks at him and loves him. Bless your heart, precious. And he says, okay, one thing you lack, which that's pretty amazing. You only lack one thing. That's, man, if I was in this conversation with Jesus, he'd be like, 75 things you lack. Where shall we begin? Um, so one thing you lack, he says, go and sell everything, everything you possess, and then take all that money and give it to poor people. And he's like, wait, wait, wait hold on. Wait, remember, um, love your neighbor the same way you love yourself? Um, the way you've loved yourself is you have achieved and you have acquired and you have insulated yourself from the insecurity and the vulnerability of this world by making sure that you have great wealth and possessions, like deep pockets around you so that this world can't get to you in the way it does other people. Okay, you got neighbors out there, they have nothing. They have nothing. And the insecurity of the world is a dangerous risk to them. Why don't you love your neighbor out there? Why don't you love your poor neighbor the same way you love yourself? The way you've loved yourself is insulate. Why don't you insulate them with some of that wealth? And that's when he's like, oh, no. Um, won't be doing that. It says he went away sad because he had great wealth. What Jesus had a two-step process with this man. Step one, you have an obstruction. And it keeps you from the most important thing in life. You have an obstruction. There's something in the way. You need to remove that obstacle, that obstruction, and then when that's out of the way, then you need to come and follow me. By the way, follow me, when Jesus said the words follow me, what he meant was, I will be the boss. Let's not have any two ways about this. I will be calling shots. I will be calling shots over your life, over your finances, over your attitudes, over everything about you, over your relationships, friendships, sexual relationships, all, all, everything, all the areas of your life, the way you do your job, the way you think about your career, all, all of these things. I want access to every single room, backstage passes to everything, and your job will be to follow me as your boss. That's what follow me means. Here's the deal. If I can't do step one, which is remove the obstruction, the thing I can't get rid of, that's keeping me from saying yes to letting Jesus have the keys 
and call the shots. If I can't do step one, I won't do step two. I won't follow him if there's something in between me and him. Does that make sense? Now, what I firmly and truly believe is this conversation or something like it is coming for every human heart. Two-step process. Remove the obstruction and then follow me. If you find in your life that everything that you've done, it's good some days, it's fine, but then just something's missing. There's just something that's not right, something that's not adding up. There's something that I'm missing to have like real and full life. Okay, there's a two-step process. Remove the obstruction and then follow me. That's the two-step process. Now, your mileage may vary on step one because maybe Jesus is not asking you to sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor. Maybe, maybe you even have a lot of stuff, but you're super generous with it and you, you let the Lord make, you know, call shots on that and you give to his people and to his work. And if that's so, man alive, that's amazing. If money is not an obstruction for you to following the Lord, that is beautiful stuff. That's fantastic. But my guess is that we all have some obstruction. Am I alone on that? So can I remove the obstruction and then am I willing to follow him? That's the two-step process. Okay, now there is, there are so many wonderful moments in this story, but I skipped over the most important one the most critical one. The most critical moment of this story is not that a rich dude decided to get down on his knees in front of Jesus. And by the way, Jesus being who he is and the way he worked in people and the way he talked to people and the way he cared, everybody should be getting down on their knees in front of Jesus. Amen? There's nobody like him. But that's not the most important moment. And it's not the moment where Jesus told a guy to sell everything and give it to the poor. That's not the most important moment. It's not even the most important that he said no and walked away. And it's not even the most important moment that Jesus looked at him and loved him. You mean tell you what it is? Okay. Let us return to Mark chapter 10. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? That was it right there. That's the most critical moment in this whole conversation. No one is good except God alone. Why do you call me good? If he was to answer that question, he'd be like, there's nobody like you. I mean, the dignity that you give people, the generosity that you have, the grace, the kindness, the authority, the power, the, the, the miracles, the healing, the deliverance. If anybody's good, you're good. Why do you call me good? You realize nobody's really good except God alone. Jesus is setting this guy up. This is like a trap door that he's got to fall through. No one's good except for God alone. Why do you call me good? Well, I mean, if you're not good, nobody's good. You're amazing. Yes. I am setting up a binary truth that's a trap door for you, which is I'm either good, which clearly everybody is like, oh my goodness, there's never been anybody like him. I'm either good or I'm not. If I'm good... You're talking to God, son. You're talking to God. Right here in this conversation, you're face to face with the maker of the world and the one who crafted your heart. I'm the one who knows what you need more than anybody else, more than you do. 
I'm the one who can fill you in a way that nobody else can and can make meaning out of nothing the way that nobody else can. And nobody has ever loved you like I do. You need to think, the most critical moment in this whole conversation is, you need to think deeply about who you're asking for help. Think deeply. For this guy is saying, you're asking God. Now, up to this point, you've been asking your money and your possessions. You know what happens when something's missing and you ask your stuff? Hey, stuff, something's missing. What should I do? You should probably get more stuff. If you get a little more stuff, if you get a little more stuff, then maybe that'll fill up that hole inside you that's missing. Hey, has anybody ever gotten more stuff and you still weren't satisfied? Yeah. Um, he had asked his accomplishments and his achievements, his accolades, all of his connections and his influence and his power and relationships and his ability to, to move the gears of the community. You know what happens when you ask your accomplishments, hey, accomplishments and accolades, something's missing. You know what they'll say to you? Well, no, duh, because that person over there has so, much more, has so many more accomplishments than you do. You need to get more, but you'll never get as much as them or as much as her or as much as him. Sometimes people ask their relationships, hey, honey, something's missing. You know what happens? Eventually, your spouse or your friend or somebody in your life will say, I can't give you any more. That's it. I'm tapped out. I'm done. I can't give you any more. You ask your stuff, it'll say, get some more. You ask your accomplishments, it'll say, so-and-so has more. You ask your relationships, they'll say, I can't give you any more. Up to this point, you've been asking your stuff, and you've been asking your accomplishments, and you've been asking all of your amazing relationships to fill up that hole in you that's missing. Who are you asking now? You're asking God himself, almighty God, in the person of Jesus Christ. And what you'll find is, Jesus would say, I know exactly what to do. I know everything about you. I know your whole history. I know your heart. I know my, how many hairs are on your head. In my case, that number is going down all of the time. They turn white, then they turn loose, right? It's um, <laughs> good, right? Um, so you, you're talking to somebody who knows everything about you, and they know, he knows exactly what you need. But not only are you talking to someone who knows, but you're talking to someone who can, who can absolutely help you. You're talking to somebody who can tell storms to be quiet, and they will. You're talking to somebody who can say to a disease, get out of them, and it will. You're talking to somebody who can say to death, you're done, he's getting up. You're talking to somebody who knows, you're talking to somebody who can, and you're talking to somebody who loved you enough to give his life for you, to bring you into his family. Who are you asking to fill up the missing thing? It's always a step, two-step process. Get the obstruction out and then follow Jesus. Am I ready to do that? Until I, and I think the problem is, is that for some of us, and I am part of this, it's something that we have to revisit all the time is I keep thinking, well, I think I've probably gotten to the place where I can manage my own heart and my own personality. I probably know what I'm doing by now. Does anybody uh, have this situation? 
Anybody fall flat on their face with that one? Um, the key is, is that the reason that I need to follow Jesus is I don't know how to hook myself up with a good life. I don't know how to do that. Why do you call me good? In other words, who are you talking to? Who are you asking? Are you ready to stop asking the stuff that can never help you? Are you ready to ask the one who knows you completely, who can do anything, and who loves you like nobody ever has? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your beautiful words. Thank you for this amazing conversation. And part of me is scared about the fact that this conversation comes for me every now and then when I'm not ready for it. And yet I know I can't manage my own life, my own heart, my own personality. Would you give us the courage to admit that something's missing sometimes? And that the thing that we need to do is to submit to the fact that you are the one who has the right and the ability and the love to say to us, why don't you follow me? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.